0: This podcast is presented to you by the Young Adults Ministry of Faith Chapel, San Diego. To find out more, please visit faithchapelsd.com. Beloved. We've been talking about beloved identity for quite some time now, and uh, I I hope it's continuing to hit home for you. I will tell you this much, we are winding down in the series. I'm not gonna tell you when it's finishing, but it's gonna be uh, wrapping up here pretty soon. I feel there's already some other things I know the Lord has been putting on my heart to bring to this company of people. And so, but we we couldn't get to there unless we covered this. You know what I'm saying? Like This had to be the equipping point to get us to that. Like We kinda had to learn to to crawl and to walk before we could jump and do all the other things we needed to do, and I really feel like uh, this was something that was very foundational, that even I've been hearing from people who have been saved many, many years that knew God loved them, but not to this degree, and it's been unlocking that. Does this make sense to some people in the room? Have you been learning a lot about your identity as the beloved of the Lord? I hope this is becoming revelational uh, for you, and I hope it's a blessing your, your socks off. Tonight, I wanna talk to you um, about the victory for all. The the Everything's in the notes, so you can track along with us on the app as well. So here's what's been going on. We've been talking about David, and David, not just in David, but David, his name means beloved. He's the beloved of God. And so whenever we talk about David in this, we're understanding it as beloved identity and what that means for you and me as the beloved of Almighty God, his loved ones. David has displayed nothing but honor to King Saul, even though King Saul is trying to kill him. So now David's been on the run. He's been hiding in caves. Saul keeps attacking them. Last week we learned that Saul comes in and David has this keen opportunity to kill him, but chooses not to, ends up cutting off just a little piece of his robe. And again, showing radical character and integrity and refusing to kill King Saul. And so Saul kind of, where we left off last week was Saul kind of leaves and he kind of goes back and then David is still kind of on the run here a little bit. And so Let me kind of, I'm going to hop through some chapters a little bit. This tonight will be a little bit different than how we've done it in the past, but you could track with me. So Samuel, who's the prophet, he dies. Now remember, he had kind of a fatherly relationship with David And so he passes away. Later on, David takes a girl named Abigail as his wife. There's a whole story in that, but we're gonna have to skip that one for tonight. She's this beautiful girl with incredible integrity. In fact, Abigail's integrity was so amazing that it not only spared her, but those close to her and the people of her city, she ended up intervening and interceding on behalf of some people. And and, and David didn't have to execute judgment on them by, by fighting them or anything like that because of. Of how they were acting and so she was just incredible and so they end up you know getting hits which is pretty cool and then a little bit later King Saul at some point reverts back to his rage to kill David again and he's on this conquest once again to take out David so there's this second situation where Saul is is passed out he's sleeping and and he has a jug of water by his head and he's got his spear and David and David's men they remember they're like this ragtag group that's kind of following him they're these rejects they're guys that are in depth they're guys that are like you know just fresh out of jail that kind of get hooked up with David and so they're running around and they're like hey here's your opportunity David there's Saul lying there go kill him and instead David sneaks on up takes Saul's you know flask takes his like water bottle you know I don't I forget what those things are called that was really popular those little bottles what are they called somebody help me out Cante- canteen. That's was like a hydro flask. That's what I'm looking for. Those hydro, anyways, forget it. It's not important. So he takes that guy and then he gets a spear, right? He takes it and then he goes off to the wayside and he says, hey Saul, like, you know, I had an opportunity to kill you again, but I'm not trying to kill you. Here's proof. I got that water jug. I got your spear in my hand that you wouldn't let go of because you keep messing with your spear. In fact, you've chucked this very spear at me about two or three times. You keep trying to kill me. But he just continues to display incredible honor, self-control, and in integrity. Now, as the story goes on a little bit more, David ends up siding with the Philistines. The Philistines are like the age-long enemies of the Israelites forever. So, But in order to get Saul to stop pursuing him, he goes and size with who is always an enemy of Saul, which is the Philistines. So now King Saul is continually troubled. He can't hear from God anymore. He's frustrated that he can't hear from God. So he gets desperate, and he actually goes to like a spiritus. He kind of goes to like this fortune teller, mistress Cleo, call this weird 1-800 number thing. And he goes, and he's trying to talk to Samuel, But don't forget, Samuel's dead. And so he goes there and some stuff happens and they're able to kind of communicate with Samuel. And I'm not here to talk about necromancy tonight, but I don't know what you believe about all that. But bottom line is, whether God starts speaking to him again or Samuel comes back from the dead and speaks to him, I don't know what happens. But he ends up hearing some news about his future that he doesn't like. And the news is, Saul, you're out, David, you're in. And so Saul doesn't like that, so he's frustrated and he's all nervous and he thinks David's gonna kill him. He doesn't know what's gonna happen. And the whole thing's a big mess, only solidifying what Saul had been fearing this whole time. Now, the Amalekites, they're important. Everybody say Amalekites. Amalekites, they burn a town down called Ziklag where David's family was and the family of the soldiers. Now if you remember uh, several weeks ago when we were back in in 1 Samuel chapter 15, there was a story about how Saul was supposed to go in and destroy the Amalekites. He was supposed to kill them all. He was supposed to like just wipe out the entire Amalekite people, but he decided not to do that. He he saved the king, King Agag alive, and he saved some of the the cattle and the sheep and some other stuff, and I would even probably go as far as to say didn't kill all the people as well in my personal opinion, so he doesn't follow through through wiping out the Amalekites. Now the Amalekites, they've somehow risen back up destroyed Ziklag, captured David's wives, captured the soldiers' wives, their families, their daughters, and and kidnapped them, captured them, and left. And this is a company of people that was supposed to be wiped out but is not, and now it's coming back to bite them in a remarkable way, and it's terrible. So here we are some years later, and because he wasn't obedient to completely destroy the Amalekites, the Amalekites have captured David's family, which leads me into my first point tonight. Some things don't need to be hushed or quieted. They need to be killed. I think a, like in a, in a righteous way, it's like a spirit of murder has got to rise up on the church in some capacity. Like sometimes we're too gentle. We're like, oh, no, don't, don't kill anything. No, some things need to be killed. Some things need to have a thing on the inside of us that says, this is so wrong. This is unacceptable. I don't need to hush it. I don't need to silence it. It needs to be destroyed from my life. As believers, we're not called to be politically correct concerning sin and concerning disobedience, concerning the things that are drawing us away from God. We have got to be violent about it. We have got to come against it in a remarkable way. I thank God that when it came time for your and my sin to be paid and it were Required Jesus to die the father didn't just look at Jesus and say you know what why don't you just hush why don't you just be quiet I thank God he died upon the cross for you and for me because without the death there would have been no resurrection because some things needed to be killed in order for God to resurrect something greater and I think this is kind of an antidote problem that I've seen within the church and within believers for a long period of time is because we don't ever walk in resurrection power because we don't ever allow anything to fully die. We don't, we don't walk in a resurrected lifestyle. We don't let God bring new life into us because we never let the old self really die. We just tried to tame it. We just tried to manage it. We just try to silence it. We just try to be quiet so we still have all these little monsters living under our bed that we were never violent enough to kill. And because of that, they keep coming back and biting us. So some things have got to die. Never tolerate what God has called you to kill. Never tolerate what God has called you to kill. Some things have got to be absolutely destroyed, cut off. In fact, it was the words of Jesus in Matthew 8, Matthew 18, verse 8: it says, If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, it's better for you to enter into life maimed, lame or maimed, rather than have two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than living with two eyes and be cast into hell's fire. In other words, if this is problematic, we don't need to try to manage it and hush it up. We need to destroy it. We need to get rid of it. It's got to be not managed, but destroyed. I remember when I turned 18, I was I was working at a movie theater and I had some friends and stuff that worked there. And we turned 18 and we were like, cool, what can we do now that we're 18? And so we got really into going to the casinos. And I wasn't going to the casinos just to have a good time with my friends. I was going to win some money. That was my plan because I didn't have any money. And my paycheck was like 400 bucks, right? So, I don't, anybody else in here testify, you were like, I'm not making a lot of money because I work at a movie theater. <laughs> like, I get paid in popcorn and free movies, which I was pretty happy with. So, but my point was, I, I wanted to win some money to try to have some money. So, we always were going up to Perona, going up, going up, going up, playing all the time, leaving late at night. And we were all blowing our paycheck that we worked the last two weeks to get. And we get up there and we'd spend all our money at the casino. But you know what was beginning to happen was, I was actually winning quite a bit, and the more that I won, the deeper the hook got into me. Okay, now I'm not here to tell you gambling and don't gamble this and that. What I am saying, you should be a good steward of your finances, no matter what that means, whether you're blowing it all on Amazon or you're blowing it all on this or you're blowing it all on that or whatever, but, and we come in here and we try to give it to the Lord and we're like, sorry, God, I don't have it, but I spent it all on this stuff, you know? So that's another message. I don't wanna step on too many toes. But you get my point. We need to be a good steward of whatever God gives to us. So I was being a bad steward of what God was giving to me. So here's what happened. Conviction finally starts to set in. I have a mentor, I'm still going to church during this time, and he's pouring into my life, and he's like, Mijo, you got an issue, we need to fix this, you know what I'm saying? And so he starts pouring into me a little bit, and so you know what I decided? I decided, well, it's fun, it's enjoyable, here's what I won't do. I won't go to the casinos anymore, but I'll still play in house poker tournaments. It's just with friends, we're just hanging out. It's only for 10 or 20 bucks, it's not a big deal. It's not like I'm spending my hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars at the casino. And, and so we just did that for a while. I can manage this. And then eventually conviction started to fall in after months and months of that where I say, okay, you know what, we'll still do the, we'll still play poker and we'll still do this kind of stuff, but we'll just do it, you know, just, just for pennies and just for like some coins and stuff like that. And we we won't make it about money. But the problem was I was still entertaining the same spirit. It was just that the value of money I was exchanging with it was different. The problem was is I was trying to manage something with smaller dosages because I was unwilling to cut it off. I was unwilling to kill it. And it still became this little monster that was living under my bed. And I, I, I hated it, and eventually as life, as life went on and, and, and purity and holiness began to have its way in my life, I thank God that I got to the point where God began to say, this needs to be cut off entirely. And I was able to finally cut that off and remove this thing that was becoming a major issue in my life, and thank God for that. But it needed, I needed to make a determination in my own heart, this thing has to die and not try to manage it. Now you can put your own context into whatever it is, whether it's sexual immorality or drugs or drink or pornography, whatever it is, you can put it in there, but if the Lord is telling you, hey, this is an issue, let's not try to just manage it, let's get extreme and cut it off. I love the story that my friend Jake Hamilton tells where he says, hey, I had a kid come in, we were talking about purity, and this kid said, hey, I I have pornography issues. So he went upstairs when he got back home, grabbed his parents' desktop computer and chucked it out the second story window onto the driveway. He says, I was grounded for the summer, but I saved my soul in the area of purity. I think we need to get extreme sometimes. My nephew, who I haven't seen in a while, will happily come and tell you the story about how he was heavily into drugs and and selling drugs and doing things he didn't want to do, and then God gripped his heart, saved him, and he made a determination that said, if I'm gonna do this, I'm in 100%. And he had just re-upped all of the money that he was gonna use to sell the drugs that he was getting, and he took it all out, and we went in my dad's backyard and lit a fire and threw it all in the fire and burned it. And we didn't even get high sitting back there watching it burn. Thank God. We stood far away, for the record. But he said, I'm all in. I'm not going to manage this. I'm going to cut it off. Amen? Some things just need to be killed in Jesus' name. Hello? If we just dodge the things that we're supposed to kill, we'll leave those minefields for our children to walk through. And I don't want to do that. If we're constantly dodging the things that God is saying, kill this, kill this, kill this, guess what? When your kids get of age, that little monster will still be there. I tell this all the time to our young adults, my core leaders and stuff. I say, there's things that I don't want my son to deal with because when he realizes, hey, I came of age and why does everybody else struggle with this and I don't? I wanna be able to hold up that giant's head and say, because daddy cut its head off. And that's why you don't have to struggle with that because I believe in the spirit, we gained victory over this sucker. So I'm believing for freedom in your life in an unparalleled sense that maybe I never experienced in Jesus' name, amen? Come on, man. The cross wasn't to make you a sin manager, the cross empowered you to walk in victory over everything. Don't cheapen the cross to the point where we just become sin managers. No, man, he paid the price for that to be wiped out of our lives. Amen? His victory is your victory, and your victory is our victory, and our victory will change the world. Man, he did something at that cross. He did something that was so legit. It was so complete. It was so full. It was so real that that victory gets inside of you and me. And now your victory becomes our victory together because you and I are the beloved of the Lord and people need what we carry in our lives and that victory that we have will literally change the world because it's not just designed to be my cute little story. What God has done in me is not just a story for me, it's a story for me to put out for other people to hear. It's why I want you to text that number, text story to that number is because I want to hear what God's doing in your life because I might have a platform to share the story that you don't have, but if I don't know what God's doing in your life, maybe no one's gonna hear about it. So I'm encouraging you, tell people what God is doing in your life. At the very least, tell me so that I can help broadcast on a megaphone or a microphone what the Lord is doing in the house of his beloved. Amen? Come on, we're having fun. At least I am. All right. The men, so let's get back to the text here. The men were so distraught that they thought of mutiny, killing David as retribution. These guys are upset at the fact that that their families have been captured. Think of it, they come back and all of their families are gone, their place is burned and they're like, oh my goodness, what has happened? We're out here following David and now our families have been captured, our daughters, our kids, oh my gosh. Verse six, David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk about stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. I don't know when the last time you had an army of people saying, we're going to kill you. (laughs) I don't know when the last time that happened, but I love the fact that David steps away and goes and encourages himself in the Lord. When your confidence is found in that you're, I'm sorry, when your confidence is found in that you're his beloved, even if those closest to you turn against you, strength can still be found in your identity. I think that's what's happening here. I think David is so solidified in his identity that he's like, all these people are trying to kill me and this is a huge mess. And so he's like, forget this, I'm gonna go and I know God, they're all mad at me, but I know this isn't my fault and I know that I'm your beloved. So God, bring strength into me. Put something inside of me that gives me purpose and hope and I know that God, that you are good. And he just begins to build himself up in the Lord. And it's a phenomenal thing that he's able to do this. I love that. Let's go to verse 7. Then he said to Abathar the priest, he said, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, he said, should I chase after this band of raiders and will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. This is amazing. In, In this great moment of trial where his own men want to turn against him, and not to mention, it's not just that the men... Their families were all taken. David's family was taken too. So we're talking about personal grief, personal like storm that he's in, not to mention what's happening with his, his men. So this is like an intense moment. So them closest to him want to kill him, but yet David gets a steadfast heart. He's locked into beloved identity and he could still seek the Lord and receive direction. Let me tell you this much. You're never too far from seeking the Lord your one prayer away. You're one prayer away from getting right back on track with God. I tell this to people all the time, that slip, that fall, that get into issues, that feel like, man, I just can't connect with God, I don't know what's going on in my life, I'm on a downward spiral, I can't seem to reverse the curse, I'm in an issue, I got problems going on. I'm like, listen, bro, you're one prayer away. You're, you're one moment away from just saying, God, forgive me, get my heart right, fix this. Help me to press back into you, God, I need you. I, I know that I'm your beloved and nothing has changed that. Once you're his beloved, that never changes. You can't mess that up. He will always love you with a relentless love. You're one prayer away. Verse nine, so David and his 600 men set out and they came to the brook Besor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook, so David continued the pursuit with 400 men. So did you catch that? 600 set out, 200 are like, I am super tired. I'ma chill right here. And 600 go, 200 stay behind, 400 continue the journey. Keep that in mind. They catch up to the Amalekites with the help of a young boy, and they begin to attack the Amalekites. Let's jump down to verse 18. David got back everything that the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, or anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and the herds, and his men drove them ahead of all the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. Check it out. I believe that we, those marked with beloved identity, can recover what the enemy has stolen from us. And make no mistake about it, the enemy is constantly trying to pick apart things from you. He's constantly trying to break in. He doesn't always just come in and smash into your life with some big storm and some big issue, but he will try to chip away, chip away, chip away at you again and again and again and again until things break through. He'll just slowly tap against you, tap, tap, tap. I heard that explained one time, somebody was talking about sin and they were talking about how it was this idea that that it's just a, a little tap like this again and again and again and unless it's fixed, unless it's removed, eventually something cracks. And it's not the devil just comes in and goes bam and just like blows up on you. Sometimes that happens, right? But it's the idea that he just keeps chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, a little bit more, a little bit here, a little bit there. And he's always trying to take from you But when you're marked with beloved identity, you can sit back and say, devil you could try to come against my finances and you could try to come against my health and you could try to come against my family or my church or whatever's going on and all of those things are these attacks of the enemy but you cannot come against who I know I am as a son or daughter of the living God. I am his beloved, I am sitting in the palm of the father, I am embraced by almighty God in a remarkable way and you can't do nothing to snatch me out of my father's hand, amen? We know who we are. We are the beloved of God. We used to sing this in the church I grew up. You guys probably remember it. Remember we used to sing, well, I went to the enemy's camp. Remember that? And I, how's it go? Took back what he stole from me. Some of you were like, I'm not raised in church. I don't know that one. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. And we used to be like, he's under my feet. And we'd all stomp around the church. You guys remember that? Some of us. Okay. Some of us are Pentecostal. So I love that because I always thought, man, the enemy's coming against me, always trying to steal something, always trying to take it away. But shoot, I'm the beloved of Almighty God. I'm going to the enemy's camp and I'm going to plunder this clown. I'm going to take back what was stolen from me and I'm going to take back what's been stolen from my family and what's been stolen from my friends and I'm going to start claiming retribution on those things. And the scripture of God tells us that the devil has to pay it back sevenfold. Start claiming sevenfold justice on the years that were taken from your life. I heard it in some people's stories in here where they said, Hey, the, 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 there was a 20 year gap. Thank God I'm back and I'm saved now. But for 20 years, I was really a mess and I couldn't get my heart right. Man, start claiming sevenfold justice on those 20 years and believe for the next 140 years, God does something in your family that the enemy could never stop, in Jesus' name, amen? We need to go to the enemy's camp and take back what the devil has stolen from us. I love that. So what happened? One minute, these men of, of David, they were broken, they were hurting because their families were captured and they wanted to kill David, but the ones that were marked with beloved identity got a word from the Lord and remained steadfast in his obedience to God, and the people still choose to follow him. Remember that? He gets a word from God and says, we're going to move forward. And these guys a minute ago that wanted to kill him are now like, okay, well, I guess we'll just follow you, all 600 of us, and we're going to go, and we're going to go to the enemy's camp and take back what was stolen. Check it out. The world around you, for the most part, is not anti-Christian in nature. The world, for the most part, around you is not necessarily anti-Christian in nature. It's not that they hate Jesus. It's not that they hate God. They're not anti-Christ in nature. They don't. They don't hate that. I, I believe much of the world around us is just lost and hurting. I believe they're grieving and they don't even realize it. I believe they need somebody marked with beloved identity that has a word from God to lead them into a realm of victory. And I believe they'll follow you. I believe that's you and me. You see, we're only His beloved because of the victory of the cross. So naturally victory is the only place beloved ones can lead anyone. Did you catch it? We're only His beloved because of the victory of the cross. Because of what He did on the cross, that's the only way we're able to be His beloved, and it's the only way we're able to love Him back. It's because of what He's done for us. So naturally... Victory is the only place beloved ones can lead anyone. We just walk people into victory on a constant basis because that's the, the, the defining thing about what we live in. We walk in and from and to victory because of what Jesus has done for you and me. Amen? Let me wrap this up. Verse 21. Then David returned to the brook Bessor and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, They didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder that we recovered. Give them their wives and children and let them be gone." But David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made this a decree and regulation for Israel that is still followed today. The spoil gets shared with the entire family. This is a beautiful kingdom principle. It's a beautiful kingdom principle. You see, beloved identity doesn't seek to advance his own cause, but sees the beloved ones as all part of the same family. My win is your win, and your loss is my loss. But when one wins, everybody wins. It's why when you and I give to missions, we win. And we might not be the missionary that's going out to the mission field. We might just be the one that's helping make it happen. But the victory of the person that's out on the mission field gets credited back to our account. Why? Because we were able to help send. So that's like us staying back and guarding the equipment, but we still get to reap the spoils. Isn't that beautiful? When you're the pastor in the church maybe and or, or you're just a, a church member who's just tithing and bringing guess what the the wins and the victories of the pastors that get to pour into people and disciple do all the things that we get to do fantastic that's awesome but we're a family so the benefits and the wins and stuff and the souls and all that gets to happen through our account awesome gets credited to the account of the rest the people that are giving and helping support what's going on within the church And likewise, what God's doing in your life, that gets credited back to our account, and we together get to move and see God sweep the earth and his kingdom advance, amen? I absolutely love that. So whether you're stacking chairs or you're the one on the microphone preaching, it doesn't matter. We're all a team and we move together and the benefit gets credited to our account. Listen, beloved, I wanna wanna end with this. Musicians, maybe you'll come back up and we're gonna go into uh, our time of worship and have our extended service of prayer and things like that that's going to kick off in just a couple minutes, but I want i want to tell you this. Walk in victory. Walk grounded in your identity. Like, know who you are. I'm praying and believing that this beloved identity thing we've been talking about becomes a part of our language that we use indefinitely. That we literally all become, we recognize, I'm the beloved of God, and we don't have to teach on it every single week, but it just becomes part of our DNA and part of our culture. We just recognize this is who I am. Like, I I don't have to hear it every single day. You know, I, I know that I'm American whether or not I see an American flag today. It's just who I am. It's part of my identity, who I am. This is who you are, the beloved of God whether or not you felt it all day, whether you felt the nearness of the Lord or not, but I'm telling you, it's who you are, and everybody needs who you are. Everybody needs who you are. Who you are is so significant. It points such a big arrow back to Jesus and exalts his name in the earth, and the world around you, people who are super messed up, and people that look like they got it all together but are missing Jesus, they need who you are. And you and I get the privilege of demonstrating what it means to walk in beloved identity, being the beloved of God. But what will the world find when they look at you? Will they find a beloved one or will they find a churchgoer? Will they find a beloved one or will they just find maybe another religious person? a Christian that looks like some of the rest. I'm praying that when they look at your life, they see you and they go, man, there's something different about her. How she carries herself, how she talks, how she acts, how she breathes and moves and gives and serves. There's something about how he shares with me, makes me feel like I'm the only one in the room. Just things begin to open up and things begin to change in people's life and we realize that it's this ridiculous love God's given us that we're able to regurgitate to the world around us they all get to be fed by what we're being fed with it's this revelation you and I we're the beloved of God would you guys stand with me tonight thanks for letting me borrow six more minutes I'll give it back to you some point Father God I'm asking that you would really let this sink in God, show us the things that need to be killed. Show us the things that we should not tolerate, that we shouldn't just pamper, manage, or whatever, and just kind of shuffle to the wayside. No, teach us to kill the things that have got to be killed, and teach us to really grasp the reality. We are the beloved of Almighty God, and the world around us absolutely needs this. Let us find solace in your presence like David did. Even when his world was crumbling all around him, he had this confidence, no, I'm going to go. I know who my God is, and I'm going to go get back what the enemy has stolen from me. God, I'm believing that for us in this room. I'm believing for for sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters that have steered away from God, and they're not with them anymore, and I believe that there's been parents and grandparents in here that have been crying out for them and praying for them on a consistent basis, and we just thank you, Lord God, that you're going to bring them back in Jesus' name. God, I'm believing for years and years, for some people, decades, that have been robbed from them, and I'm believing in Jesus' name. We're calling forth justice in it with a prophetic voice, and unction of the Holy Spirit to believe, Lord God, that you will give back what the enemy has stolen god we thank you for more years more decades we pray for literally hundreds and hundreds of years of favor of god and blessing and salvation and healing and the gospel advancing being able to come forth from this room alone with people that would rise up and say god because i'm your beloved i know i have access to this so i'm thanking you for retribution in jesus name lord release this over us god Father, as we slip into a time of prayer and of worship, I know that this is a moment where we can just say, oh, cool, cute message, and head home. But this, I believe, is a moment where we've cultivated the atmosphere for people to begin to say, God, I need this. I wanna press into you for it. I need something to change. I need to come up to this altar. I need to come and pray. I need to come and spend some time with you and begin to do warfare by worshiping the Lord in the beloved identity that you rest in. So if you, free, if you need to go, you're free to go. God bless you. We love you like crazy. But we're gonna turn this room into a prayer room Room and into a room filled with the praises of his people and we're gonna believe that God's gonna come and rest in here so if you're staying in with us I want to encourage you to engage I want to encourage you to maybe turn your chair into an altar and get on your knees before the Lord or maybe you want to come up to the front and walk and pace and pray but I just want you to do this I want you to engage in Jesus name so as they begin to lead us in worship we'll do some other stuff throughout the the next hour here but I want to encourage you engage with Almighty God as we worship and as we pray in Jesus' name. May God bless you massively. Amen.